is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Live here on this Wednesday, November the 10th, in the house with your boy Trey Larkins on the Wise Guys Sports Show. Everybody remember going follow Wise Guys, Wise Guys underscore. It's also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys know sports too. Happy Wednesday. It's hump day. Feeling pretty good here on this Wednesday evening. Got an action jam-packed show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to talk about later on the show how... The Boston Celtics, they are showing interest in Ben Simmons. And also Jalen Brown is reported to be involved in that deal as well. Also later on the show, we'll talk about Carmelo Anthony and how great he has been so far for the Los Angeles Lakers. Also later on the show, I'm going to give you my top four destinations for Odell Beckham Jr., who is still contemplating his decision on where his next team will be. Also, later on the show, we'll talk about the Bengals, Browns. Bengals lost their second straight game. They are 0-2 over the last few weeks going into the bye. Is it time for Bengals fans to remain patient or panic? I'm going to talk about that all later in the show. But we begin in the NFL with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. As yesterday, they find the Green Bay Packers and they find Aaron Rodgers. So... Aaron Rodgers, he was fined $14,650. Alan Lazard was also fined $14,650. And the Packers organization, they were fined $300K. So everyone knows how much of a Packers fan I am. I've been a Packers fan since I was two years old. I'm not a bandwagon fan. I'm not one of those people who all of a sudden start liking the Packers. You know, once Aaron Rodgers was drafted by the Packers and once the Packers, you know, became you know, contenders in the NFC once Aaron Rodgers developed as a, you know, great quarterback. No, I've been a Packers fan since I knew what football was. But this is a situation where I got to take out being a fan and I have to be completely honest about what took place with the situation involving Aaron Rodgers and him not following COVID protocols that were put in place by the NFL and also why the Green Bay Packers should be held responsible. Both the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers got a pass for this situation. And they got a slap on the wrist, ladies and gentlemen. Let's start off with the Packers. The Packers, they should have lost a draft pick with this situation involving Aaron Rodgers. They should have been given heavy, heavy punishment because they knew that Aaron Rodgers wasn't vaccinated 
they knew that Roger's definition of immunized, they knew that that meant he didn't take the vaccine. And they didn't basically force Aaron Rodgers to follow COVID protocols like he was supposed to. So as much as everyone wants to blame Aaron Rodgers and how he lied about being vaccinated, the Packers organization deserves some blame as well. Now, I believe part of the reason why the Packers allowed Aaron Rodgers to pretty much do whatever he wanted to do and pretty much not follow the protocols. The reason why I think they allowed him to do that is because you heard all the turmoil in the offseason and how toxic the relationship is between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers organization. Before Aaron Rodgers tested positive for COVID last week, the Packers, they were seven and one. You know, they had won seven straight games top of the NFC standings. They had just beaten the undefeated Arizona Cardinals the previous week. So, you know, Aaron Rodgers was starting to position himself to be in that NFL MVP conversation, and everything was going well for the Packers. So I believe that there is a possibility that general manager Brian Gutekus, owner, uh, CEO, Mark Murphy, and head coach Matt LaFleur pretty much said, okay, we're winning games. Aaron Rodgers is playing some great football, and we are in a position to where we can possibly have home field advantage and have the Super Bowl have to go through Lambeau Field. We need Aaron Rodgers, and we want Aaron Rodgers to also return for future seasons to come. That's why you heard reports out of Green Bay about how Brian Gutekus, he's tried to prepare his relationship with Aaron Rodgers. So I believe the Packers organization, they com were complicit in this situation with Aaron Rodgers because they want to bring Aaron Rodgers back for future seasons to come. So they're pretty much allowing Aaron Rodgers to do whatever he wants. That's why they didn't make it mandatory for him to go about the rules with the COVID um, pro the protocols in place by the NFL. So I think that's a part of it. Also, when it comes to, you know, the Green Bay Packers, you know, they saw Aaron Rodgers after games go and talk to opposing teams, players, opposing teams, coaches, and so forth. And not one time did you see anyone say anything to Aaron Rodgers. Not one time did they hold him accountable. Because, again, they want to allow Aaron Rodgers to do whatever he wants and have his back now that the NFL has fined him. It would surprise me if the Packers paid Aaron Rodgers $14,000 fine. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. So they also need to be held accountable in this situation because they were complicit right along with Aaron Rodgers and him not following COVID protocols. They didn't require Aaron Rodgers to wear a mask in his press conferences. They also did not require him to wear a mask you know, at the end of games when he went and talked to opposing team's players. We, we've seen Carson Wentz after games, you know, put on his mask and go and talk to opposing team's players. Aaron Rodgers didn't do that. And, you know, I think the Green Bay Packers should be held responsible for that as well. Now, let me get to Aaron Rodgers. Everyone knows how much of an Aaron Rodgers fan I am. I've defended him on many, many occasions when there have been players who have played for the Packers. There have been reporters who have, you know, covered 
the Packers in Green Bay, and they talked about how Aaron Rodgers is selfish. Aaron Rodgers is arrogant. Aaron Rodgers can be aloof. Aaron Rodgers is a me guy more than a team guy. And I've defended Aaron Rodgers on many, many occasions. But in this situation, I cannot defend Aaron Rodgers. His actions were inexcusable. And the way that he lied and put out this word, immunize, knowing that it was going to lead people to believe that he was vaccinated, he also should be held responsible. And then he made matters worse when he went on the Pat McAfee show yesterday and he never apologized. He never apologized for misleading everyone into believing he was vaccinated. This was Aaron Rodgers' quote on the Pat McAfee show yesterday. I know there are some people out there who think that I have lied or was misleading. And I take full responsibility for that. How? Are you taking responsibility for it, Aaron? That's not an apology. And although he didn't double down on how he felt about, you know, the situation Friday when he was on the Pat McAfee show, he also didn't take back what he said. Like, <laughs> he, that was not a real apology. So Aaron Rodgers also should have been held more accountable and he got a slap on the wrist as well. And I honestly, I couldn't be mad even as a Packers fan if the NFL has suspended Aaron Rodgers one or two games for lying about not being vaccinated. You know, he wasn't vaccinated. I couldn't, I, could, I would not have been able to get upset with the NFL if they would have suspended him. I couldn't. Now, for people out there to say he should have been suspended for the rest of the season, that's insane. No, he should be suspended for the rest of the season, but a one or two game suspension is reasonable. And he got a slap on the wrist because the NFL wants Aaron Rodgers playing football on Sundays because it helps the NFL continue to make money. That's why you didn't see Aaron Rodgers get suspended. Like that was never in their plans. When they said we're going to investigate, you know, what's going on with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers when it comes to following COVID protocols, they were never going to suspend Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is a star quarterback. He's one of the best players in the NFL. And him playing means the NFL is making money. Aaron Rodgers being suspended would hurt the NFL and their bottom line. And it's a bottom line business. If this was any other player, make no mistake about it, it's a great chance they would have been suspended, possibly even kicked off the team. But because it's Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is a star quarterback and one of the faces of the NFL, that's why Aaron Rodgers wasn't suspended in a situation where he deserved to be suspended one or two games and also find much more. I want to read y'all the amount Aaron Rodgers was fined, right? Finding Aaron Rodgers, $14,650. Finding Aaron Rodgers, $14,650 for violation of COVID protocols is equivalent to finding the average American $33.80. And not to mention, when you look at last night, I was listening to Damon Woody, right? Damon Woody of ESPN. He put out a tweet, and the tweet said, when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, he said, 
That'll teach Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. That's what everyone thinks about this fine. Like $14,000? Are you serious? That's chump change to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is laughing at the NFL, but it makes you wonder. And think about the NFL also was complicit in this as well. They've seen Aaron Rodgers after games go and talk to opposing teams, uh, players, and didn't have a mask on. They knew Aaron Rodgers was also unvaccinated. I'm not going to get fooled by Roger Goodell in the NFL. This fine that they gave Aaron Rodgers and the fine that they gave the Green Bay Packers was just a cover-up. They knew Aaron Rodgers was unvaccinated as well. Okay, don't sit up here and fool yourselves into believing the NFL had no idea that Aaron Rodgers was unvaccinated because they knew that he was unvaccinated. They knew as well. So, you know, they're not going to fool me in this situation. And again, the NFL lost all that credibility. It's all about money. It's all about the bottom line. That's what it's all about. You know, if you put out Aaron Rodgers out there on the field in this week 10 matchup, going up against the Seattle Seahawks, you got Russell Wilson returning back to the lineup for Seattle. Seattle three and five on the season. They are desperate for a win so they can try to climb in the NFC West. Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, they seven and two. They are trying to stay at the top of the NFC standings so they can have home field advantage come through Lambeau Field. You got Aaron Rodgers versus Russell Wilson on CBS at 425 Eastern time. NFL didn't want to miss out on that. That's why Aaron Rodgers wasn't suspended. That's why he wasn't suspended. So that's my overall opinion about the suspension involving Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, you know, being fine as well. Aaron Rodgers should have been suspended. He wasn't. He was fined, and that fine was nothing to him. It was chump change. And the Packers, honestly, should have lost a draft pick. And this is coming from a diehard Packers fan. Coming from a diehard Packers fan. Everybody, remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I want to transition. And I want to talk about Scottie Pippen as Scottie Pippen has some some recent comments on Michael Jordan. He threw some some shade aimed in the direction of Michael Jordan. I'm going to read all this. He also talked about the flu game with Michael Jordan, right? But let's talk about the excerpt released by GQ from Scottie Pippen's upcoming memoir. His book is called Unguarded. His book is coming out soon. So he's trying to promote his book. But this is Scottie Pippen on Michael Jordan in the last dance. Quote, Scottie Pippen. From one season to the next, we receive little or no credit whenever we won, but the bulk of criticism when we lost. Michael Jordan would, would never have been Michael Jordan without me, Horace Grant, Tony Kukoc, John Paxson, Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman, Bill Cartwright, Ron Harper, B.J. Armstrong, Luke Longley, Will Perdue, and Bill Winnington. I apologize to anyone I've left out. This is also Scottie Pippen. I was nothing more than a prompt. His, quote, best teammate of all time, he called me. He couldn't have been more condescending if he tried. Each episode was the same. Michael on a pedestal, his teammates, secondary, smaller. The message, no different from when he referred to us back then as his supporting cast. And then this was also... Scotty Pippen, he was talking to Frank Isola on Sirius XM Radio recently, and he said this to Frank Isola. He said, I'm going to ask you this. Is it easier 
to play with a herniated disc or to play with the flu. Well, I don't see many bad bat games, but I do see flu games. Flu? Come on. That was Scottie Pippen speaking to Frank Isola on, on Sirius XM Radio. So, first and foremost, because Scottie Pippen feels so underappreciated, so undervalued, let me go ahead and give Scottie Pippen his credit and talk about how great of a player Scottie Pippen was. Scottie Pippen, he's a six-time champion, seven-time All-Star. He won an NBA All-Star game MVP in 1994. He's a three-time All-NBA first-team player, eight-time NBA All-Defensive first-team player, two-time All-NBA defensive second-team player. Also, Scottie Pippen, he didn't need to make the 75th anniversary team because he was recognized as one of the top 50 greatest NBA players of all time. He's one of the greatest defensive players in NBA history. This is a man for his career who's averaged 16 points per game on 47% shooting from the floor, six rebounds, five assists, and Michael Jordan did need Scottie Pippen to help him be successful in the postseason. This is Michael Jordan, 1984 through 1986, in the playoffs without Scottie Pippen. He was one and nine. He averaged 36 points per game, seven assists per game, six rebounds, no titles. Now, this is 1987 through 1998. 11 seasons played with Scottie Pippen. This is in the postseason. Michael Jordan, his record, 118 and 51. He averaged 33 points per game, six assists per game, six rebounds per game, and six NBA championships. So, Scottie Pippen, I believe, was an all time great Robin. And we talk about greatest duos in the NBA and throughout NBA history. I think about Kobe and Shaq. I think about Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. You know, like I think about Magic Johnson and Kareem. Like you talk about greatest duos in NBA history. Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen deserve to be at the top of that list. And not just because of Michael Jordan. Scottie Pippen is one of the greatest defensive forwards in NBA history. He doesn't get enough credit for the job that he did defensively for the Chicago Bulls during their championship seasons. I saw Scottie Pippen guard Magic Johnson. You saw Scottie Pippen guard Charles Barkley. You saw Scottie Pippen at times guard Gary Payton, although Michael Jordan guarded Gary Payton as well. But you saw Scottie Pippen take on the defensive assignment against the opposing team's best player. But 30 years later, Scottie Pippen is clearly bitter towards Michael Jordan. And he feels underappreciated. And him keeps saying that Michael Jordan is only Michael Jordan because of us. Well, I agree with Scottie Pippen to some degree. 
because Michael Jordan did need his teammates and Scottie Pippen to become a champion. And, but when you say that he needed you guys to become a champion, do I need to remind Scottie Pippen of what Michael Jordan was before Scottie Pippen even entered the NBA? Michael Jordan, he's a high school All-American. He was a college All-American. He won NBA Rookie of the Year. He's a two-time All-NBA player, three-time All-Star player. He was a scoring champion, averaging 37 points per game. He averaged 35.4 points per game and two playoff series. And Larry Bird, he referred to Michael Jordan as, quote, God disguised as Michael Jordan. This was all before Scottie Pippen entered the NBA in 1987. And also, this is the first seven years of Michael Jordan's career, his points per game averages. And three out of those seven years was without Scottie Pippen. In his rookie season in 1984, Michael Jordan averaged 28 points per game. 1985, his second year in the NBA, he averaged 23 points per game, but he only played in 18 games due to injury. After that, he averaged 37 points per game, 35 points per game, 33 points per game, 34 points per game, 32 points per game, and 30 points per game. So, This also is for everyone who disagreed with me on my post last night. I made a post last night, and I want to read it to everyone. Let me go on this post I made last night because people was disagreeing with me left and right. Let's go on here. I made a post talking about the Michael Jordan situation involving Scottie Pippen, right? This was Scottie Pippen. He was talking with Michael Strahan. (laughs) Michael Strahan, he asked Scottie Pippen, he said, do you think Michael Jordan would be as successful without you? Scottie Pippen's response was, no, but I don't think I would be successful without him either. We complimented each other in a lot of different ways. What? I just read you what Michael Jordan was able to accomplish before Scottie Pippen even came into the NBA. Larry Bird referred to him as God disguised as Michael Jordan, 35 points per game in two playoff series. Scoring champion, averaging 37 points per game, three-time NBA All-Star, college All-American, high school All-American. Yeah, Scottie Pippen is saying and trying to, like he's trying to say that Michael Jordan became Michael Jordan because of him. Michael Jordan was already an NBA superstar, Scotty, before you got in the NBA. And what's so crazy is at the time when Michael Jordan was losing, in the playoffs to the bad boy Pistons, the faces of the NBA at that time were Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas and Larry Bird. But the NBA noticed that, man, we got a superstar here in this kid and Michael Jordan in Chicago. He is the real deal. This was before he even won championships. So while I do agree with Scottie Pippen, that Michael Jordan was a part of the reason why they were able to win championships and they were all a part of the reason why they won championships. They were the reason why he became a champion. But Michael Jordan was already an established superstar before Scottie Pippen 
entered the NBA. And then what's so crazy about Scottie Pippen is Scottie Pippen is upset at how he was portrayed in The Last Dance. But Scottie, The Last Dance, the documentary that you hate so much, is popular and on Netflix and everyone goes and watches it. And you're a part of that documentary, so you can make a legitimate argument that the only reason why we are even talking about Scottie Pippen is because of The Last Dance, the documentary that you hate so much. You hate the documentary so much, but you're relevant because of The Last Dance and Michael Jordan. Also, let's go down memory lane when it comes to Scottie Pippen. Let's go down memory lane and go back to 1990. Game seven. In the Easter Conference Finals between the Chicago Bulls and the Detroit Pistons. This is for all the Marbles to go to the NBA championship. And Michael Jordan, he needs Scottie Pippen, okay? This is Scottie Pippen. He's had a migraine in the game. He goes one of 10 for two points in 42 minutes. That was in 1990. Game seven, you know, uh, NBA Finals birth on the line. Michael Jordan, he needs Scottie Pippen. And Scottie Pippen... Does not play well. Said he has a migraine, right? And then after the Bulls won their first championship, <clears throat> Bulls owner at the time, Jerry Reinsdorf, he told Scottie Pippen to not sign the deal that was on the table. It was a five-year, $18 million deal for Scottie Pippen on the table. Five years for $18 million total. Jerry Reinsdorf, he told Scottie Pippen, do not sign this deal. But because Scottie Pippen knew his father was in a wheelchair, his brother also was in a wheelchair and knew about his upbringing, Scottie Pippen wanted to secure the bag. But this is the same Scottie Pippen who, again, was told by his owner to not sign the deal and how I don't renegotiate contracts. You're not going to be able to restructure this deal. Don't sign it. This is the same Scottie Pippen. The year before the last dance and the last championship that the Bulls won, he postponed foot surgery and didn't get surgery in the offseason that he knew he needed to have so he could be ready for training camp. He postponed it because he wanted an upgrade in salary. But that's supposed to be Michael Jordan's fault? Is that Michael Jordan's fault? Why you signed a deal that Reinsdorf told you not to sign? That was after the first Bulls championship. Let's go back down memory lane and go back to after Michael Jordan had retired. Michael Jordan wasn't even playing at the time. The 1994 playoff series between the New York Knicks and the Chicago Bulls. Phil Jackson, he called a play in the huddle at the end of the game for Tony Kukoc. And Scottie Pippen, he was upset because he didn't get the last opportunity to take the last shot of the game. But instead of Scottie Pippen being the leader of the team that he was at that particular time, Scottie Pippen didn't even check into the game. Scottie Pippen went on the sideline and moped because he didn't get an opportunity to take the last shot and had the nerve to call Phil Jackson a racist because Phil Jackson drew up a play for Tony Kukoc instead of Scottie Pippen. And it's so funny because Tony Kukoc actually hit the game winning shot. So apparently Phil Jackson, he knew what he was doing. But yet Scottie Pippen called him a racist. And Michael Jordan wasn't even playing that particular year. 
Also, that year, Scottie Pippen got a gun charge. Michael Jordan was nowhere to be involved with that. And it talked about with Frank Isola about how it's harder to play with a herniated disc than it is to play, you know, with the flu. Michael Jordan in his flu game, right? MJ dropped 38 points, five assists. Scottie Pippen in the herniated disc game, he dropped eight points in 23 minutes. In that same game, Michael Jordan had 45 points. That was in the 1998 season in game six when the Bulls won their last championship, when Scottie Pippen had a herniated disc, eight points in 23 minutes. Michael Jordan had 45. But again, the year previous, when the Bulls won their fifth championship in game five, Jordan dropped 38 with five assists. So, you know, this whole notion that it's harder to play with a herniated disc than the flu, MJ with the flu dropped 38. You with the herniated disc dropped four, but eight points. Eight points, Scotty. Like, and then this was the worst part of what Scotty Pippen did to MJ. The worst part. And I know I'm defending Michael Jordan here, but I think Scotty Pippen is bitter. And I think Scotty Pippen is not appreciating the fact that he got an opportunity to play with the GOAT. Michael Jordan's father tragically passed away in July of 1993. Scottie Pippen, he told the New York Post that he didn't even give Michael Jordan condolences about his father passing away. And so you got to think after Jordan's father passed away, the Bulls had years where they were still competing for championships and they repeated and all of the years went by and Scottie Pippen couldn't even give Michael Jordan condolences for his father passing away. Like that's something that I would never be able to let go because if I have a best friend or someone who I'm close with, who I work with and their parent passes away, even if we on bad terms, I'll call and give my condolences. Scottie Pippen couldn't even put his pride aside to give Michael Jordan condolences for his father tragically passing away because he was so caught up in his feelings and why he believed he was underappreciated during the Jordan Pippen era in Chicago and while they were winning championships. He was so bitter that he couldn't even put his pride to the side to call Michael Jordan. And then what's so crazy is I spoke up about money earlier and about how it wasn't Michael Jordan's fault why Scottie Pippen decided to sign a five-year, $18 million deal that Reinsdorf told him not to sign. But what's so crazy is Scottie Pippen made more money on the basketball court than Michael Jordan did. Michael Jordan, for his career, he made $97 million total. And the first 11 years of his career, he made no more than $4 million per year. The first 11 years of Michael Jordan's career, he made no more than $4 million per year. This is Michael Jordan we're talking about. So he made $97 million in total earnings for his career on the court. Scottie Pippen made $107 million in total earnings on the court. So you made more than Michael Jordan, Scottie. And everyone knows you damn sure ain't worth more than Michael Jordan. And so it's just crazy when I think about 
this bitterness that's coming from Scottie Pippen because pre-MJ and post-MJ, Scottie Pippen didn't accomplish much. Before Scottie Pippen played with Michael Jordan, what did we know about him? Who was Scottie Pippen? He was a nobody. And then post-Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, he went to the Houston Rockets. He teamed up with Charles Barkley and Hakeem Olajuwon, and they couldn't even get out of the first round of the playoffs. And then he decides to go to Portland. In Portland, he averaged 11 points per game. Now, he did get the Portland Trailblazers to the Western Conference Finals, where they played the Lakers. And in the deciding game seven, Scottie Pippen went three of 10 from the floor and didn't play well in that game at all. I think he had like 10 points in that game. So pre-MJ and post-MJ, Scottie Pippen was a nobody. And so the fact that he has this big issue with the way he was portrayed in the last dance, you can make a legitimate argument that the reason why we even talking about Scottie Pippen is because of the documentary. And this is the documentary that Scotty hates, but you're relevant because of the documentary, Scotty. So that's my overall takeaway on that situation involving Scotty Pippen. Like, I think he's bitter, and I think he needs to get out of his feelings. He really, really does. Like, he is in his feelings heavy right now. Like, Scotty, get out of your feelings, man. Be appreciative of the fact that you got an opportunity to play with Michael Jordan. Everybody can't be Michael Jordan. Everybody can't be Kobe Bryant. Everybody can't be LeBron James. I even take it a step farther and talk about music. Everyone can't be Beyonce. As great as Kelly Rowland was, as great as Michelle was, and they were important to Destiny Child and what they were able to accomplish when they were together. But neither Kelly Rowland or Michelle were as great as Beyonce was. So Scotty, it's okay to not be better than Michael Jordan, but you should appreciate the fact that Michael Jordan took you under his wing and you were able to win six championships in 11 seasons for the Chicago Bulls. And you also were wrong about how you called Phil Jackson a racist. Because you know that's not true, Scotty. You know it's not true. But you just wanted that opportunity to take the last shot because you knew that if Michael Jordan came back, that all of those late game situations were going to be late game shots taken by Michael Jordan. And for once, you wanted your opportunity to hit a game winning shot. And because Phil Jackson took that opportunity out of your hands and drew up a play for Tony Kukoc, you were in your feelings. It's time for you to get out of your feelings, bro. You're one of the greatest players in NBA history. You're one of the greatest defensive forwards in NBA history. You are a top 50 greatest NBA player of all time. We know how great you are, but you could never be Michael Jordan. Let it go. Let's transition. And let's get back to the NFL. Let's talk about, talk about Odell Beckham, as I just got a report to my phone about how Odell Beckham is going to take some time to make his decision on which team he wants to play for next. And I'm going to give you my list of teams who I believe are the best destinations for Odell Beckham. 
So these are the teams that are reportedly interested in Odell Beckham, the Seattle Seahawks, the New Orleans Saints, the Kansas City Chiefs, the New England Patriots, and the Green Bay Packers. Let's talk about each team. Let's start off with the Seattle Seahawks. I don't believe that that would be a good situation for Odell. And let me explain why. Seattle, they're three and five on the season. So they're probably not going to go to the playoffs, which means Odell will only have nine games to play to be able to show that he still can play at a high level to be able to get a new contract heading into next season. I don't think Seattle's going to the playoffs. They are last right now in the NFC West, right alongside the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC West. It's all about the LA Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. I don't think Seattle's going to be a playoff team. Now I know Russell Wilson is going to return back to action this week against the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau, but the defense for Seattle is awful. They don't have a playoff caliber defense. So he's only going to have nine games to be able to, you know, put together a nice resume to be able to earn another contract for next season. I think he needs more time than nine games and they're not a playoff team. And I think Odell wants to win. He also wants to contribute offensively to whatever team he goes to, but he wants to win and be in a winning situation. I don't think Seattle's a playoff team. And I also think it's going to be a struggle for Pete Carroll to get Odell involved in the offense the way Odell wants to be involved. Now, I know you got DK Metcalf in Seattle. You got Tyler Lockett. So you got some other weapons on that receiving core for the Seattle Seahawks. But Pete Carroll, he's not an offensive guru like a Matt LaFleur, you know, like uh, Eric Bellinini in Kansas City. That's not who Pete Carroll is. So I don't think Seattle would be a good destination for Odell. Now, people are talking about him going home and playing for the New Orleans Saints. I don't think that's a good destination for Odell Beckham because Trevor Simeon will not be able to get Odell Beckham the football the way he wants to get the football. You thought it was going to be bad with Baker Mayfield. Can you imagine playing with Trevor Simeon? This ain't Drew Brees, Odell. This ain't Jameis Winston. This is Trevor Simeon. And then Michael Thomas, he's already out for the season. Because if Michael Thomas was playing, you can make an argument that Odell would get some targets because Michael Thomas, when he's healthy, he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. So Michael Thomas, you know, would have, all of the you know coverage on his side of the field so Odell would have an opportunity to thrive on the opposite side of Michael Thomas that's not the case and because that's not the case I don't think the Saints are a good fit for Odell right now Trevor Simeon he's not Aaron Rodgers he's not Patrick Mahomes and he's not Russell Wilson so he's going to struggle being able to get the ball you thought he was complaining with Baker it would be even worse with Trevor Simeon now let's talk about the Chiefs this is actually my second team on my list for what I think would be a good fit for Odell. But the Chiefs offense is struggling right now. They're struggling right now. They only scored 13 points last week against the Packers. And the Chiefs, the Chiefs offense this season, they haven't been very good. And they haven't been the same Chiefs offense like they have been in years past. We are used to the Chiefs putting up 25, 30 points per game. That hasn't been the case 
this season. It's been a struggle. So that's one of the reasons why I don't believe it will be a good fit with Kansas City. Although I do believe it will be a great fit because Patrick Mahomes is an elite quarterback who can get Odell Beckham to football. And he's a quarterback who can make plays off script, just like Aaron Rodgers and just like Russell Wilson. Trevor Simeon also, he doesn't have that ability. He can't make plays off script. So that's one, you know, pro for Odell going to play in Kansas City is Mahomes can make plays off script. But also, this is something else to keep in mind for Odell if he went to Kansas City. Tyreek Hill, this is going into week nine. This could have changed, but it was going into week nine against the Packers. Tyreek Hill, he leads the NFL in targets with 90. He was tied for first. Also, Travis Kelsey, he has 71 targets, which is seventh in the NFL. This was before the week nine matchup against the Packers. So whenever Mahomes is in trouble, he's looking for number 10 and number 87. So, like, that's something you got to consider if you're Odell Beckham. You're not going to be the first or second option that, that Patrick Mahomes is going to look to when he's in trouble. You're not. So he's looking for Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. So those are my two issues with the Chiefs. Their offense is struggling, and when Mahomes is in trouble, he's looking for Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Now let's talk about the New England Patriots. I do believe that this would be a good fit for Odell Beckham as far as the system. He would be the number one receiver on that Patriots team. Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick, they will find ways to get Odell Beckham to football in their offense. And also, the Patriots are ascending, not descending, like the Chiefs or like the Saints. Patriots, they're 4-4 in the season. They're second right now in the AFC East, but they have an opportunity to make the playoffs and possibly compete in the AFC, especially as a wild card. But I got questions about whether or not Odell would have the right chemistry with Mac Jones. Like, I think it may be a struggle for Mac Jones to get Odell Beckham the football. Now, I do believe Belichick and McDaniels will have a game plan in place for Odell to be involved in the offense. I just don't know if Mac Jones has the skill set to get Odell Beckham the football like he wants. Let me tell you somebody who do got the skill set to get Odell Beckham the football like he wants. That would be the Green Bay Packers. And there's multiple reasons why I believe Odell Beckham should sign with the Green Bay Packers. Not only because I'm a Packers fan and, I, and I've pleaded for the Packers in the past to trade for Odell, but also because when you look at the Packers and who gets the football on their team, right? Devontae Adams, he gets 54% of targets from Aaron Rodgers. Odell Beckham is better than Marquez valdez Scanlon. Odell Beckham is better than Alan Lazard. He's better than Randall Cobb. So Odell pairing up with Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers would be unstoppable because the opposing team's best corner is going to guard Devontae. So that means Odell would be matched up with the opposing team's second best corner, and that's a matchup that I believe Aaron Rodgers and Odell Beckham would be able to take advantage of when they go up against these teams 
later in the season, and especially once we get close to the playoffs. So I think the Packers are a perfect fit for Odell. Also, everyone's talking about how we don't know if Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams is going to return back to the Packers next season. Like a lot of stuff is unclear in Green Bay, but I think that's why this is a perfect situation for Odell. Odell, he's not about to sign a long-term deal. This is a short-term deal for Odell to be able to show why he still can play at a very, very high level and why he deserves a contract for a new team after this season. Now, you never know. Packers could go on to win the Super Bowl. They could re-sign Odell to a long-term deal right along with Devontae Adams if they both decide to give up money and sacrifice for the team. But this is not a situation where Odell has to sign and be there long-term. That's why I believe it's a perfect situation for Odell. It's for, it's for the short, short term for now. You only got to be in Green Bay, Odell, for the next three months. And then after that, you can go back to L.A. where you do have a home. Also, in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, he's a superstar who right now publicly is getting a lot of criticism because of him lying about being vaccinated. So that would be a perfect situation for Odell to go and thrive in because Aaron Rodgers is getting all the criticism right now. If Odell went to New Orleans and was playing with the Saints, if he's not playing well and he's complaining about not getting targets and not getting the football, he's going to get all the criticism in the media. So I think with Green Bay, it would be a perfect situation where Odell Beckham could fly under the radar he can fly under the radar and he is the second best receiver on the team Devontae Adams is the man in Green Bay so here's my list when it comes to fit for Odell number five is the Saints because I don't like Trevor Simeon I don't think Trevor Simeon can get Odell Beckham the football the way some of these other elite quarterbacks can get him, like Russell Wilson, like Aaron Rodgers, and like Patrick Mahomes. So I think that's a bad fit because of the quarterback. Four, the Seattle Seahawks. They only got nine games left in the season. I think Odell Beckham will need to perform well in the playoffs. He's only played in one playoff game, and that was in Green Bay at Lambeau the week after he had went on a boat trip with other teammates with the Giants. Y'all remember that? He didn't play well in that game. He was very, very underwhelming, his performance was, to say the least. So Seattle, they're three and five on the season. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. I do believe it will be a good fit when it comes to Russell Wilson being an elite quarterback who can get Odell Beckham the football. But I don't know about the, the, the system and if Pete Carroll can get Odell Beckham the football. But I do know off script, Russell Wilson can get Odell the football. But they're my fourth team. My third team would be the New England Patriots because I like Odell with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels. I think in that system, they would have a game plan to get Odell Beckham the football. I just don't know if Mac Jones has the skill set to get Odell Beckham the football the way Russell Wilson can, the way Aaron Rodgers can, or the way Patrick Mahomes can. So the same way I feel about Trevor Simeon in New Orleans, that's the same way I feel about Mac Jones in New England. I don't know if he can get Odell Beckham the football 
the way he wants. My second team would be the Kansas City Chiefs. Because Patrick Mahomes can make plays off script. So I think they would be a good fit for Odell. But again, on their team, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, they lead the team in total targets per game. So whenever Patrick Mahomes is in trouble, he's looking for number 10 and number 87. So I think Odell would struggle to get targets like he would want. But I think he would get a lot of targets in Green Bay being the second option behind Devontae Adams and having the advantage of going up against the opposing team's second best defensive back. I think Odell Beckham will win that matchup 10 times out of 10. And I think Aaron Rodgers will be able to get him the football off script. And the Packers are a team who's going to be playing in January in the playoffs. And so, again, Odell Beckham is a player who hasn't played well in the postseason, like I mentioned earlier. So he'll get an opportunity to play with an elite Hall of Fame quarterback, an elite receiver in Devontae Adams, and on a team that will be competing in the playoffs in January. And also, he's going to be playing for a coach in Matt LaFleur who is going to scheme him open. He'll be open just because Matt LaFleur is so great at being able to scheme players open. So he'll get the football in the natural flow of the offense. It won't be forced. It won't be forced. He'll get the ball in the natural flow of the offense. So I think the Packers are the best destination for Odell Beckham. And again, he would be the second best receiver on the Packers team. He would be better than MVS, better than Alan Lazar, and better than Randall Cobb. So those are my list of teams where I believe Odell Beckham should play. Five Saints, four Seahawks, three Patriots, two Chiefs, one Packers. Let's transition and let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals as the Cleveland Browns, they beat the Cincinnati Bengals 41 to 16. It was the second straight loss for the Cincinnati Bengals. For the Browns, Baker Mayfield, he went 14 of 21, threw for 218 yards, two touchdowns. For the Bengals, Joe Burrow, he went 28 of 40, threw for 282 yards, two interceptions. So my biggest takeaway in this game is, first and foremost, Joe Burrow has to protect the football better. Joe Burrow on the season, he has 11 interceptions. That's the same amount of interceptions as Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold, he's been awful so far through the first nine games with the Carolina Panthers. Joe Burrow, you have to protect the football better. Like, that's my that's been my biggest issue so far with Joe Burrow. And even Bengal fans have an issue with Joe Burrow. This is Mo Egger. He's a radio personality here in Cincinnati. This is a tweet that he put out Sunday. I'm thrilled that Joe Burrow is the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. I believe he's going to win a lot of games as the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm also mystified at the interceptions he throws as the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. And so you saw on the Bengals opening drive, Joe Burrow throws a pick six to Denzel Ward, and that set the tone for the Cleveland Browns in this game. 
Joe Burrow must protect the football better. And if the big ones want to be true contenders in the AFC and contend for AFC North supremacy, they need their quarterback to protect the football better. You got to protect the football better. Like the big ones were on their way to scoring and going up 7-0 in the divisional game against the Cleveland Browns, a team who desperately needs a win. Can you imagine if the Bengals would have went up 7-0 over the Browns? How much pressure would have been on Baker Mayfield and the Browns' offense to score on the next possession? They would have had a bunch of pressure on them on that next possession. So Joe Burrow throwing a pick six in that moment on the Bengals' first possession killed any momentum that the Bengals had built up. He killed the momentum in that situation. 99-yard touchdown by Denzel Ward can't happen. Cannot happen. So Joe Burrow must protect the football better if the Bengals want to be contenders in the AFC. Also, let's talk about that Bengals defense. The Cincinnati Bengals defense. Through the first seven weeks of the season, Bengals were 5-2 and two on the season. They gave up 18 points per game. 245 passing yards per game allowed, 94 rushing yards per game allowed. The last two weeks, Bengals, they're 0-2. They've given up 37.5 points per game. They've given up 311 passing yards per game. And they've given up 125 rushing yards per game. So defensively right now, the Bengals, they aren't playing very well. And I told y'all last week, they made Mike White look like the second coming of Joe Namath. Now, I know Joe Namath finished his career with more interceptions and touchdowns, but Joe Namath is an all-time great at the quarterback position for the New York Jets. But the Bengals allowed Mike White to score 34 on them in week eight. And then they followed that up in a game against the Cleveland Browns, an AFC North opponent, and they allowed the Cleveland Browns to have 361 total yards of offense, and the Browns were able to have 153 rushing yards on the ground. So the Browns won the game running the football and won the line of scrimmage. So in order for the Bills to be true contenders in the AFC, defensively, they must improve. Defensive coordinator Lou Amundsen, I don't know how to pronounce his man, name, so stay with me, but Lou, you got to get these, these, these brothers together. They got the bye week in week 10 coming up, so hopefully they'll have an opportunity to relax and look at the film because they've been bad the last few weeks. They got to get better defensively. They got to get better. And, you know, the Bengals, they're going to put up points, although they lost. They had 348 total yards of offense, 263 yards through the air, and, you know, they only had, what, 60, 85 rushing yards? But we know they're going to put up points. They can score. They got weapons in Jameer Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Uzama. And then you got running backs like Joe Mixon and like Perrin. You got weapons offensively. They're going to score points. They have to be able to get stops defensively if they want to win games okay so those are those are two of my biggest takeaways and why the Bengals lost against the Cleveland Browns 
Joe Burrow not protecting the football and the defense not playing good football right now. Now, let's talk about Baker Mayfield in this game. Baker Mayfield in this game, he went for 14 of 21, 218 yards, two touchdowns. Now, I know everyone's going to say, oh, he only had 14 completions in the game. Listen, out of all the turmoil that was going on in Cleveland the previous week, all of the, the, the loud noise, you know, how, how Baker Mayfield's dad had posted videos on Instagram about how Dale wasn't getting the football, Odell got released. I got to give Baker Mayfield some credit because he played well in a game that the Cleveland Browns desperately needed. I thought he was efficient in this game. I don't think he was great statistically, but I thought he was efficient in this game. And he managed the game very well for the Cleveland Browns. Now, of course, the reason why the Cleveland Browns won the game was because they had Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb in this game had 14 carries for 137 rushing yards, two touchdowns. The man averaged close to 10 yards per carry. We know the recipe for the Browns to win games is to run the football with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. This is not going to be a team that's going to have Baker Mayfield drop back to pass 35 or 40 times plus per game. That's not their formula for success. The formula for success is to run the football because they have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Run the football with Nick Chubb and have the play action set up for Baker Mayfield to thrive off of. And that's what he did in this game against the Cincinnati Bengals. The touchdown pass that he threw to Donovan Peoples-Jones was impressive. That was off play action. That's how Baker Mayfield is able to be successful. It's not the Browns getting in shootouts and you need Baker Mayfield to throw the ball 35, 40 times a game. No, no. So I thought he did a great job at managing the game for Kevin Stefanski and the Cleveland Browns. So I give Baker Mayfield credit from that standpoint. The Bengals, back to them, the last two weeks, they've lost to the Jets and the Browns. They got a bye week this week in week 10. And then after the bye, they have to play against the Las Vegas Raiders out there in Vegas. And then after that, in week 12, they home against the Steelers, home against the Chargers, home against the 49ers. Three-game homestand, that's going to be crucial for the Bengals' playoff hopes. So let's talk about their next four games, Raiders, Steelers, Chargers, Niners. They'll beat the Niners in week 14 because I don't think the Niners are a playoff team. I think the Niners are going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo in the offseason. I don't think he's their quarterback of the future. I think they are rebuilding. And they're trying to figure out if Trey Lance is going to be their future franchise quarterback. So I think the Bengals will beat the Niners in week 14 at Paul Brown. Now, their week 12 game against the Steelers is interesting because Steelers are 5-3 right now. They just beat the Chicago Bears on Monday night, playing some good football. I don't think the Steelers are a playoff team. So I think that's a game the Bengals could win. But it's also a game they could lose. Divisional game is tough. It's a toss-up. It can go either way. Chargers game, I think they'll lose to the Chargers and Justin Herbert. I do. So I think they could easily lose to the Raiders and the Chargers. They got the Raiders in week 11 after the bye, and they got the Chargers in week 13 at Paul Brown, December 5th. I, they got to go at least two and two in these next four games, at least two and two. If they go one and three, 
they're not going to be a playoff team. I'm saying it now. If they lose to the Chargers, Steelers, and Raiders, all three games they could possibly lose, and they only beat the 49ers in these next four games, they're not a playoff team. They're not. Because at that point, they'll be, what, five and seven after the next four weeks? You're not going to playoffs at five and seven. That's going to be a struggle. That's going to be a struggle. So next four weeks, I think the Bengals, if they go two and two, they'll be okay. Two and two, they'll be okay. I think they can beat the Steelers, and I know they'll beat the 49ers. Chargers and Raiders game is a toss-up, but they got to beat the Steelers. Got to beat the Steelers in week 12. Raiders game is also, like I said, that's a toss-up too, but the way the Raiders are playing right now, you know, they I know they did lose to the Giants, but the Raiders are a good football team. They're five and three. They're a good football team. They're one of my top five teams in the AFC. But we'll see what happens with the Bengals moving forward. Let's transition and let's talk about Jordan Love and his first start against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs beat the Green Bay Packers 13-7 Sunday afternoon at Arrowhead for the Packers. Jordan Love went 19-34, of threw for 190 yards. One touchdown, one interception for the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes went 20 of 37, 166 total yards, one touchdown. So my biggest takeaway from this game was Jordan Love's inability to adapt to when the Chiefs sent the blitz. And when you look at this game, right, I don't think that Jordan Love played bad. I just think he wasn't able to adjust to when Steve Spagnola, defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, sent the blitz. In this game, this is Jordan Love. No blitz. His percentage of dropbacks, 49%. His completion percentage, 77%. Yards per attempt, 9.4 yards per attempt. No, no sacks. Against the blitz. Percentage of dropbacks, 51%. Completion percentage, 35%. Yards per attempt, 1.8, and he was sacked one time. So I think he struggled when Spagnola blitzed him, and he wasn't able to adapt throughout the course of this game. I don't think he played well, though. I, I mean, I don't think he played bad. I'm sorry. I don't think he played bad. I, I think he showed some promise at times where he was able to scramble out and make plays with his legs. But he has to be able to adjust to when other teams bring the blitz because in those situations you have one-on-one matchups and in this particular game when Devontae Adams had a one-on-one matchup Jordan Love missed him every time he missed him every time and I think it was in the first half it was a key play on like on a third down might have been fourth down I can't remember it was late in the game I mean late in the second half Devontae Adams was looking for the pass he was like he was going up the sideline like for a fade and Jordan Love threw a, like, behind the shoulder type of throw. Like, it was one of those. Like, it was like a side, like, either it's going to go out of bounds or Devontae Adams will be able to catch it, you know, back shoulder. He, he, didn't, he threw it back shoulder, and Devontae was thinking fade. Those are things that, in due time, he will develop some chemistry with Devontae. Like, and that was, as a Packers fan, I got to be honest, watching the game, I felt like if Aaron Rodgers would have played, the Packers would have beaten the Kansas City Chiefs by three touchdowns, at least by three touchdowns. So, you know, my biggest takeaway from the game was the fact that Jordan Love doesn't have the experience just yet 
And I thought the Kansas City Chiefs called a break because Aaron Rodgers did not play in this game. And the way they were able to blitz Jordan Love was the difference in the game. He couldn't adjust. Like, he could not see that they were blitzing and you got one-on-one across the board. You have to be able to throw the ball when you have one-on-one coverage because when you have an elite receiver like Devontae Adams, nine times out of ten, he's going to win that matchup. So I thought that's where Jordan Love struggled. And I think if Aaron Rodgers played Sunday in Arrowhead, I think the Packers beat the Chiefs by three touchdowns at least because the Chiefs' offense was awful. And I want to give the Packers' defensive credit. Like, defensive coordinator Joe Barry, he caught a lot of heat the first seven weeks of the season. But the last two weeks, going up against the Arizona Cardinals offense led by Kyler Murray and an offense in the Kansas City Chiefs led by Patrick Mahomes, I think the Packers' defense have held their own. I really, really do. I've been very, very impressive with the Packers' defense the last two weeks. This is one of the most high-powered offenses in the NFL and the Chiefs. And for the Packers' defense to hold them to only 13 points, zero points in the second half, very, very impressive by Joe Barry and the crew. Very, very impressive. And it made me feel good as a Packers fan because if we could play that type of defense and we're going to bring back Aaron Rodgers and possibly Odell Beckham, I think the Packers are a team that could represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. So kudos to that Packers defense. The Chiefs offense still is struggling, and they still aren't right. And if they want to have an opportunity to get to the playoffs, they need Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Belimamy to figure out a way to do better offensively and put up more points because they're just not playing well right now. They're not. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at these guys, no sports. I want to transition real quick and talk about the NBA real quick. And there are reports right now in the NBA about how the Celtics, they are interested in trading for Ben Simmons. And the Celtics, they are willing to part ways with Jalen Brown and send him to Philly in this trade. And so for me, let me be very, very clear. The Boston Celtics would lose this trade. If they traded for Ben Simmons, this would be an awful trade for the Boston Celtics. Let's talk about Jalen Brown and how impressive he's been so far this season. So far this season, Jalen Brown, he's averaging 26 points per game on 49% shooting from the floor, six rebounds, and three assists per game. He has elevated his game and showed why he is a legitimate number two to Jason Tatum on this Boston Celtics team. And he's improved every year since he's been in the NBA since 2016. In 2016, Jalen Brown, he averaged seven points per game. 2017, he averaged 15 points per game. 2018, he averaged uh, 13 points per game. 2019, he averaged 20 points per game. Last year, he averaged 25 points per game. And this year, the man is averaging 26 points per game. He is a bona fide star 
in the NBA and one of the best young players we have at the NBA level. I think Jason Tatum is a bona fide number one on this Boston Celtics team, but I do believe Jalen Brown is a solid number two option that you can win a championship with. And I think if you bring in Ben Simmons, I think that would be a terrible trade for the Boston Celtics. I don't think Ben Simmons and Jason Tatum being the cornerstones of your franchise, I don't think that's a team that can win an NBA championship. I do believe Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum being the cornerstones of your franchise can be two players that you can win a championship with. That's how much I believe in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So I think this would be an awful trade for the Boston Celtics, but I do think it would be a great trade for the Philadelphia 76ers. You pair Jalen Brown up with Joel Embiid, I think this would make the Sixers better than they currently are with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So this would be an outstanding trade for the Philadelphia 76ers. And I, and I honestly think that Jalen Brown would be an upgrade even over C.J. McCullough. And I love C.J. McCullough for the Portland Trailblazers. But I think even Jalen Brown would be an upgrade over him because Jalen Brown is younger than C.J. McCullough. So, again, I think the Boston Celtics trading for Ben Simmons would be terrible. I think it, it would be a terrible, terrible move. And I wouldn't recommend the Celtics trading for Ben Simmons. I think the Celtics have a dynamic duo between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum who could win an NBA championship right now. I think the Celtics need to put the right pieces around Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to win a championship. And that's something that new general manager Brad Stevens needs to do. I don't think trading for Ben Simmons is the answer. I really, really don't. So everybody remember to go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys, no sports. Man, I got one more thing I want to talk about. This is Carmelo Anthony. Like, before we get out of here, I want to talk about Melo real quick and how Melo was impressive in the Lakers' 126-123 to 123 win over the Hornets Monday night. Real quick, before I get out of here, Melo, this is, this, is, this is Carmelo Anthony. So far this season, right? Let me pull up Melo's stats, man, because Melo been – Melo, he's averaging 18 points per game on 50% shooting from the floor. He's shooting 52% from three-point range. That's in comparison to last year with Portland. He averaged 13 points per game on 42% shooting from the floor, 41% shooting from three-point range. So Melo is playing at a high level right now for the L.A. Lakers, and he's a part of the reason why the L.A. Lakers are 6-5 and five on the season. They are not playing great basketball, but where they can say that they are basically reaping the benefits from them bringing in Melo in the, in the offseason, it's Melo playing very well coming off the bench for the Lakers. He's playing very, very, very well right now. And so he's arguably – the sixth man of the year in the early part of the season. He's the sixth man of the year in the early part of the season. Melo's playing on a very, very high level. The other night, 29 points, shot 9 of 13 from the floor. He was great from three-point range. I think he shot like, what did he shoot from three-point range? He, like six of, 
he he made a bunch of threes a few nights ago. Like he really, really did. Let me let me pull it up real quick. What did, what did Melo go? Seven of ten from three point range. Nine of thirteen shooting from the floor overall. So he was impressive the other night. And him playing at Staples Center, I, I like it. Everybody remember going follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore which also on Facebook Wise Guys. Let me sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'm Trey Larkin signing off. I'll see you here in a few days. And as, as I'll preview NFL Week 10. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.